Well, um, I think there are just a few burning questions that every serious follower, follower of Jesus um, has to make, has, has to ask. Few burning questions. There's a few important things that we regularly need to be asking God over and over and over. That's not a real long list. And in the spirit of saying that no, no question is a dumb question, particularly as it relates to God, I believe that. But I think there's a, a handful of questions that every serious follower of Jesus, everybody, or every serious seeker must be regularly asking the Lord. And one of those burning questions is this, what does God expect of me? What does God expect of me? Understanding that, as Rick Warren says, we were created by God and for God until, our, until we understand that life won't make sense, it's helpful to understand that we were created by God to do something, to be something, to live a certain way and unless we're regularly asking, God, what do you expect of me? What do you expect of us? We're, to, we're going to get this wrong. We're going to be living this thing incompletely. We're not going to be living the abundant life as Scripture promises. And while I can go through all those questions, I, I just think that one of the things that God would say as he responds faithfully to that question, God, what do you expect of me? One of the things he will say is that one of the distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus. One of the distinguishing marks is a person who has a deep and abiding faith is generosity. Is generosity. One of the distinguishing marks of Christianity is, is gen generosity. And generosity is a mark of something that I'll call spiritual maturity. We've talked about that over and over. We've talked about it a lot lately as we've been uh, engaging the spiritual discipline of uh, fasting and things like that. So we're, God expects us to grow up. He expects us to constantly becoming more and more mature in him. It's just kind of like a child. It's kind of like a baby. What do you expect of a newborn? Not a whole lot. You expect them to eat and you expect them to get a little fatter in the right places, right? You expect them to grow. And as, you know, they get older, two, three years old, there's other things that you expect of them. But generally, you just expect them to keep growing. You don't ever want them to stop growing. Well, the same is true in our life with Jesus. God expects us to grow up. And I don't say that in a snotty sort of way, hey, just grow up, or in a sarcastic sense. I say it as plainly and as gently and as lovingly as I can say it. God expects you to grow up, and part of that growing up for Christians is generosity. It's generosity. And so these days, I'm really not really interested in your Christian resume. Don't show me your Christian birth certificate. Don't tell me about how you accepted Christ when you were three months old. You couldn't speak, but when the preacher came by and asked you, did you want to be baptized in the blood, you just, I just nodded my head. I couldn't speak, but I said yes, and I've been running for my life ever since. Not interested in your resume. Not interested in how long you've been going to church when you're mean and you don't love people. Not interested in your, your spiritual resume and your spiritual pedigree when you're selfish and you're stingy and you don't give to God and others. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to be dismissive. I say it to let you know that the distinguishing mark, one of the distinguishing marks of grown-up Christians or Christians that are growing up is that you're growing and maturing in the things that matter, one of which is generosity. And because that's important, and because we waver there, we falter there, I'm going to begin this morning a brand new series that I'm simply calling The Generous Life. The Generous Life. And this should be a descriptor of the type of life that a follower of Jesus lives, the generous life. We're not talking about bouts of generosity or, you know, just spurs of generosity when you've got lots of excess. I'm talking about a generous a generous life, that's the life of a believer. The word generous can simply be summed up as liberal in giving or sharing. It can summed up by, by, by characterizing us as unselfish. And so where does this all begin for us? I found a great definition on the uh, Character and Action website that I, that I recite each and every year. 
And this is a great definition of, excuse me, generosity. It says, generosity begins by reaching an understanding, it's an understanding of what it means to do good, helpful things for others, and then it acts consciously, consciously and consistently to do for others things that are both good and helpful, even at personal sacrifice. So it, generosity begins by reaching an understanding of what it means to do good, helpful things for others. Then it acts, right? This is a purposeful thing. Consciously, you don't stumble into generosity. And consistently, this is a lifestyle. Do things for others that are both good and helpful. Get this, even when it's convenient. Even when you've got lots of excess. Even when somebody's looking that you want to impress. No, even at great personal sacrifice, even at great personal sacrifice. And so I used to really get upset when I saw people who were stingy and people who cut corners as it related to being generous to others. I would really sort of despise that. But more and more I realized that concepts and attitudes like generosity are things that you have to learn. In other words, if somebody doesn't teach you the value of being generous, if somebody doesn't model that for you, if somebody doesn't show you that, particularly if you didn't grow up in a home where your parents were generous or where you were forced, like we were forced to share and forced to smile about it, you know, as we were sharing our stuff with us. If somebody didn't teach you that, you wouldn't necessarily come by that on your own. Like I said, you don't stumble into this. And so generosity begins by reaching and understanding. But guess what? When you hang around God and you, when you hang around God's people, you know, we ought to be seeing this demonstrated like all over the place. And so selfishness in the Christian community, well, it's kind of, that's kind of a contradiction. Particularly when we look at God, our example. We talked last week about commitment. And I told you how God is hopelessly and helplessly committed to his people. And therefore, he asks us to be committed to the stuff that's important to him. And in the same way, generosity is modeled by the God that demands that we be generous. And so if you're looking for an example of generosity, you're looking for example of someone who gives of themselves even to their own hurt, we need to look no further than our Father in heaven. But I think generosity comes from a faithful, thorough understanding that life is not about you. It's not about you. i got to find new and creative ways to tell my kids that. Because they didn't come into this world knowing that. It would be nice that the Lord would just program that into us as we, you know, go off the assembly line into the world. But I mean, you don't come with that understanding. And I say this with great affection, but it's not about you. This, this is not about you at all. And until we get a faithful understanding that life is not about you, we will continue to be people who lack or who waver or who are sporadic as it relates to generosity. And I believe that the authentic Christian life in the context of that, generosity is an absolute deal breaker. And generosity, unfortunately, is underrated in our culture. You've got all sorts of things pushing back against this call, this challenge to be generous. You've got ailing economies. You've got, you know, low wages. The, you know, job market isn't great. You've got all these uncertainties, trouble making ends meet, all this sort of stuff. And so generosity becomes less, less attractive. But let me tell you something that I say just about every year as I talk about generosity. Generous people tend to have the best lives. Generous people tend to have the best lives. I'm not kidding you. And I didn't say generous people tend to be the wealthiest or tend to live in the biggest houses because heaven knows that that's, that's not necessarily true. You ever know somebody who's generous? You know any generous people who are, you know, just negative? You know any generous people that just have bad attitude all the time? You know, any generous people who will just make life miserable for other people? It's, it's, it's almost those two just don't mix. Generous people are usually smiling a lot. They've usually got this sense of goodwill that goes about them, and they just, they just seem to enjoy life. They seem to enjoy life. 
know anybody who's generous. I'm not talking about somebody who gives something every once in a while or somebody gives to get something in return or somebody who gives with less than pure motives. There, there are plenty of people like that. I remember growing up in this uh, larger church in the city and this one particular lady had kids that were just a little bit older than us and so she would always give us you know, sort of bags of hand-me-downs. And these were some pretty nice things, right? And so that's pretty generous. But, but this lady would often, often, you know, yell to my mom across the, the sanctuary, hey, those, those, those clothes look great on your kids. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I was able to give you those. They almost look as good on your kids as they do mine. And you could just see my mom, you could just hear her blood. Uh, praise the Lord, you know. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about generous people, man, who, 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 who try to find creative ways to bless people. I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8. It says, but generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Another version says, but a generous man, get this, devises generous things, and by generosity, he shall stand. What does that mean? He said, the real generous person, in the same way that a devious, cunning, evildoer plans and, and schemes to do evil, a generous person schemes to be generous. They find creative ways. They're listening as you talk about maybe a, need, a latent need that you might have, and they, and they get more excited about you opening a present that they gave you than you are. And they wish to be just a fly on the wall when you discover the 20, you know, that they slipped in your pocket. They just want to see you, you know, react to it and try to figure out what happened. They, they're devising generous schemes because that's what generous folks do. And I think it's necessary as we consider what it means to be generous, consider that generosity is not a suggestion that God makes to us, but rather it's a command that he gives us. We must consider that the essence of what it means for us to be here on earth, that God's creation uh, is at the very core of who we are. God put us here to do what? Love God and love people. And the essence of loving others is generosity, the faithful giving of ourselves to someone other than ourselves. God says, love me. In essence, he says, Being, be liberal with me, with you says, love others. Be liberal with them, with you. And you cannot love without generosity. I guess I should tweak that a little bit. You cannot show love in the way love needs to be shown without being a generous person. And so we can't just, I just can't encourage you to bootstrap this thing and just to go out and flip the switch like that, it's important that we discover you know, some of the origins of what makes us either generous or what makes us stingy. And I think these origins trace back to our worldview. The worldview is just how you see the world, how you see the world. It's everything from the clothes you wear to the foods you eat to how you treat people and so on and so forth can, and I shouldn't can, but are drastically shaped by your worldview, how you view the world. The lenses through which you view the world. And we can't talk about generosity without talking about our worldview. And so I found that as it relates to generosity or selfishness or stinginess, there are, are, there are two worldviews that are at play. One is a scarcity worldview, and the other is an abundance worldview. A scarcity worldview versus an abundance worldview. And in the scarcity worldview, which, by the way, is the bad one, is the, the one we don't want to, you know, deal with, is the one we want to we wanna put behind us. In the scarcity worldview, there's only so much, you know? There's a limited supply. And because there's a limited supply, if you win, then I lose. And if I win, then you lose. You understand what I'm saying? Because there's only so much. And the scarcity worldview is wrought with fear, is wrought with anxiety. It forces you to hoard and to stockpile and hang on to your stuff. And unfortunately, you can't celebrate with those who are celebrating. You can't rejoice with those who have won or who are victorious or received some sort of blessing, particularly if you wanted it. You cannot rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In fact, you find yourself, you know, mourning with those who rejoice and rejoicing with those who mourn with the scarcity worldview 
scarcity stifles generosity. And in the Christian's life, you are stingy with God and you're stingy with other people. You're stingy with God and you're stingy with other people. It stifles your ability to show love in the ways that love needs to be shown. And before you take this personally, I understand that you probably came by your scarcity worldview quite honestly. You probably saw it modeled in your home, perhaps growing up with very little or a traumatic, you know, loss of resource where things got tied, where you had to go without, where maybe utilities were shut off and maybe meals were scarce. Those things are burned and etched in our memory and they shape our worldview, among other things. But on the other hand, there is the abundance worldview. And many of you heard me talk about this before, the abundance worldview. And in the abundance worldview, there is enough for everybody. There's enough to go around. There's enough for you and me. There's an abundant supply. We can both win. There's enough for both of us. There's an ease to life. There's a freedom from fear and worry and anxiety. You can celebrate with people when they rejoice and you can mourn with people when they mourn because you understand that there's a whole lot to go around. And you can rejoice because you regularly and freely give of your time. You freely give of your talent. You know what? You can actually train people properly at work without withholding portions of information so that they don't surpass you, you understand that there's enough for all of us to shine. You can share of your talent. You can share of your knowledge. You can share of your treasure, your stuff, your coins, your money. Because there's enough. And in the Christian's life, you understand that we serve a big, awesome God with deep pockets. Deep pockets in every sense of the word. And so no matter what's circumstantially happening, you know that God has got you covered. And so even in that, you can give out of your lack. You can give even when you can't see the next, you know, piece of supply that's going to come through because you know that there is an abundance. There's an abundance. And so some of you, as I gave those very detailed descriptions of the worldview that shape whether we're generous or not, many of you would have signed yourself into one of those camps. And so some of you go, man, that's scarcity. That, that, man, he could have just put my picture up as he described that. So wherever you sit today, I think that these next few weeks will be beneficial for you and to you as we talk about the subject of generosity, specifically as it relates to God and specifically as it relates to loving and showing love to other people. This morning, I want to begin by talking about generous giving of our time, talent, and treasure, namely our treasure, to God. I'm calling this talk this morning, Generosity in Tithing, or Generosity in Giving. I thought about asking two large people to stand by the door to block the mass exodus, but I don't think that'll be necessary because we have pretty generous church, and plus this uh, information will be very helpful to you. Now, you should also understand that I understand that this can be a very touchy subject. We've all got history. Many of us have history as it relates to giving in church. Perhaps you got a negative history about being manipulated and pressed and over, you know, tapped for uh, resource and giving in church. And I assure you that we're not that type of church, okay? But we are people who understand the value of generosity. We don't go around difficult topics here. We choose to engage them, but we choose to do so. Uh, very well. I know this is a soft spot that can get really awkward, and I'm aware of that, so it's with great sensitivity that I speak on this subject this morning. And you should also know that we haven't dusted off the old giving sermon because, you know, the coffers are low and we need to really rally and raise funds. No, this has been the best year of giving that we've ever had, okay? It's been the best year, I said last week, the best year we've ever had. So we don't dust off the old giving sermon just to, you know, get some extra coins in the bank, okay? In fact, we do this sermon and this sermon series every single January. We spend a couple of weeks every single January, and we talk about gener generosity and living the generous life, just so you can understand that this is a regular diet that we need to talk about, the regular thing that we need to talk about. Now, we stagger the date, so you can't try to figure out, you know, <laughs> you did it on the third Sunday. So, no, we stagger it a little bit so you can't. And so we always put this as the first installment also so you don't miss the rest of the series hoping to duck this one, okay? So we want to talk about generosity in 
giving, establish a uh, biblical understanding of giving, tithing specifically, what it's for, and a few other things. This is a sensitive subject, so I want to invite the Lord's presence as I begin this morning. Lord, would you come this morning by your spirit? Uh, Lord, would you engage us in a way um, that we need to be engaged? Would you speak your truth to us in just the way that we need to hear it? Lord, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Um, Lord, may we not just be hearers this morning. Lord, but would you move us to action? Would you cause us to respond in faith? And would you teach us about the generous life and what you expect from us? Lord, would you put power on these words that you've given me to speak this morning? Lord, would you move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and that your life might shine through? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So where do we begin as, as it relates to generosity, particularly uh, giving, um, I think square one for us is, you know, just a foundational truth about all of our money and all of our stuff. And the square one for us is this, it's all his anyway. I mean, it's, if, if you can't, if you don't start there, you're not going to cover much ground as it relates to this. And this is a, this is a funny notion for some of us. And some of us abstractly and loosely believe that this is, you know, all of our stuff is God's stuff. Yeah, it's something you say. That's something you, you got a bumper sticker, maybe a shirt or something that says that. But until you get this in your guts, that everything that you have is all his anyway, then we won't make, we won't cover much ground on this particular topic. Psalm 24 and 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything, and that the world and all its people belong to him. There's nothing figurative about that. That's, that's, that's legit. Okay? And so you can bring that real close to your neighborhood and say, listen, every single thing that I own, every single ounce of resource, every talent, my kids, my family, my stuff, my car, you know, my portfolio, all this sort of thing. Listen, it's all been loaned to me. It's on loan. It's on loan. And so we talk a whole lot about what it means to be a steward, talk about a whole lot about what it means to be a good steward. And stewardship is not managing your stuff well, but good stewardship is managing something that belongs to somebody else well. And I tell you all the time, as a steward, I, I'm, 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 I'm way more careful with somebody else's stuff when I'm in care of it than with my own. I might throw my stuff away. I might mismanage my own stuff and just spend it wildly without much thought. But when it comes, when I got somebody else's stuff, when I'm watching somebody else's kids, when I'm, you know, when I'm, when I'm stewarding somebody else's resource, I'm just a little more careful with it. A little more careful with it. I, I just take a little more care and concern. And the same is true as it relates to our money. The same is true as it relates to our stuff. We are stewards. It's all on loan until we understand this we won't have a thoroughly converted understanding of what it means to be generous and what it means to be good stewards of God's stuff it's all his and if we don't start that we'll have major problems I want to illustrate this a passage of scripture Mark chapter 10 turn there real quick if you don't have a Bible there are Bibles on the edges of your rows you can follow along with me on your phones if you have them but I'm gonna read this real quick because I think this is really important Mark 10 chapter uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. I'll read quickly. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely or lie. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, some of us have heard that passage read, or you've read it yourself. You might have even encountered it this week in your devotion time. And so I think this is really helpful, a helpful picture of us, because we look at this guy and we go, that's a shame, dude. You standing in front of Jesus. He offered you the opportunity to come and roll with him, to do life with him, to just tear it up with him. And you walked away. You passed up an opportunity because of some money. We shake our fist at him, but we're looking at a mirror when we read this passage. We're looking at a mirror when we look at this passage because for you it may not be money, it may not be, you know, cash. 
But we've all got something that's more important to us or that sneaks into that number one slot. We all got something. We all got something. We're all fighting against something. So when we're looking at this rich young man, we're looking into a mirror. And what's interesting is you look at how this passage opens, man. This guy comes up to Jesus and says, hey, good teacher. Hey, hey, good teacher. And Jesus says, listen, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And I used to get confused when I would read that. I said, that's a weird thing to say. But in essence, as this guy approaches Jesus and calls him good teacher, Jesus is basically saying, only God is good. Are you, are you calling me God? In other words, who do you think you're talking to? Because if you think you're talking to God in the flesh, then you ought to give me the rights. I ought to be able to speak to you and have the authority of one such deity. And so can I talk to you as God? Can I relate to you in this moment right now as God? If so, I'm going to do what I do best. I'm going to put my finger on the thing that you need my finger on. I'm going to deal with the subject that you need me to do. I know you want to come with me, and I know you want to preach, and I know you want to be a part of the action. That's cool. We get to that. But first things first. And so what Jesus decides to put his finger on initially is the matter of this young, young man's resource. The scriptures tell us that he was wealthy. He was rich. And so as most wealthy people have trouble doing, this man knew, God knew that this young man would have trouble parting with his resource. And it's one of the main things that God goes after when he comes after us. Our stuff, our supply, our resource, our money. Jesus says, cool, man, we can do tear it up. But first, go sell all your stuff. I need you to be traveling real light when you come with me. Can't have you stopping at the ATMs and, you know, trying to, listen, come, go sell your stuff, and let's go tear it up. And this has a tragic ending. Tragic ending. The man's face fell. He grew sad. He went away sad, for he had many, many possessions. What's wrong with this guy? He kept the commandments. He was a good guy. But he didn't understand at the very foundation of it all that all this stuff was God's anyway that he thought it was his, just like you think all your stuff is yours. He thought it was his, just like you think all your stuff is yours. And that's why I say if we don't start here, we're going to have a whole lot of trouble. So now we move on to this concept of tithing, of giving, and generosity as it relates to giving regularly, faithfully, consistently in the context of Christian community. And so a good question that we can ask is, what is a tithe? What is a tithe? Biblically and scripturally, by definition, a tithe is simply a tenth, 10%. And some of you say, that's a whole lot. That's a whole lot. And my reply to you, that's a whole lot if we're talking about your stuff. But if I gave you $100 to hold for me, and I asked you for 10 of it back, you better not have a problem. <laughs> you mean you get to keep 90 of it? I asked you for 10 of my dollars back, and you look at me sideways? So I, I say that a tenth is a lot of money. That's a lot to ask if it's yours. But if I'm asking you for 10 of my dollars back, mostly it's a sign of good faith that you understand how this arrangement works. And see, if you're slow to reach and get me my 10, then I know that you don't understand. You, you, you thought that was yours. You understand what I'm saying? And so I know this can get tricky. I know this can get touchy because we got history here. Some of us have bad history here. But listen, man, we got to go for it. Passage in Leviticus that drives this home for us. Leviticus chapter 27, started verse 31. Tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the field or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord and must be set apart for him as holy. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth uh, of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. In other words, if you can't stand to, to give it that particular time where it's due, then you got to buy it back plus 20%. Verse 32, count off every tenth animal from your herd and flocks and set them apart for the Lord is holy. You may not pick and choose between good and bad animals, and you may not substitute one for the other, but if you exchange one animal for the other, then both the original animal and its substitute will be considered holy and cannot be bought back. And so some of you are like, what? Yeah, what 
are we talking about here? You have to understand, uh, in this day, currency was not money. They didn't have plastic. You know, they didn't have, you know, paper money and, and coins. I mean, they did have those types of currency, but it was, you know, most people's wealth was tied up in their, in their livestock, the, 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 the agricultural resource that they had and the livestock that they had. So that sort of thing served as currency. Those were valuable, valuables. And so God is instructing Moses to give these people these instructions about what it would take, how this would work, take some of the guesswork about what generosity uh, looked like and to take some of the guesswork and some of the figuring out of what it would look like to be generous in your regular offerings that you would bring to God's house. He said, listen, let's just square this away. Let's deal with a tenth, a tithe. Let's deal with a tenth. And so you say, yeah, brother, that's, that's an Old Testament thing. What, what, what did Jesus ever mention tithe? Well, Jesus, there's several mentions in the New Testament. One such uh, instance is when Jesus was chastising the Pharisees for being the Pharisees. Need I say more? For being legalistic and for being just uh, unduly hard on people. He says, listen, you guys are faithful to tithe off the slightest little thing, but you don't love people. Something wrong with you. I say, yes, you should tithe, but you should also love people. Yes, you should tithe, but you should also care for people. You should also practice and experience the true essence of what it means to be followers of the way. You understand what I'm saying? And so this concept of the tithe is, is as ancient as time itself. And so God is speaking to his people through Moses. Tenth of your crops, the best stuff, your first fruits, your first fruits. In other words, God's not interested in you shuffling together some stuff after you've done all that you want to do. Not interested in you just sort of picking through, you know, and giving him the three-legged cow with the, you know, the, you know, one eye and the wheel for the leg. You know, he's not interested in you bringing that to him. And what the Lord would say is, let me know that you know that this is my stuff anyway and, just, and bring, me the, bring me the stuff off the top. Bring me the stuff off the top. Now, that tithe is functional and that it serves a purpose in God's house. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But you have to understand, man, that if you wrestle with faithful, consistent generosity, that that's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of faith. It it, it locates you on the spectrum of faith. And so failure to, to be faithful and to generous in this way, really, while there's no condemnation involved in this, it might locate you in a place where you say, God, I really, one, don't understand that this is your stuff anyway. Two, I don't trust you to make this work out when I have to work with less. I'm having trouble trusting that you can make this work out with less. Plus, when we consider what God was asking his people we see that tithing and giving and generosity is a faithful declaration of our understanding of God's holiness. It's an act of worship. In fact, we often say that uh, when we collect an offering. We say, hey, this is an opportunity for us to worship God with our resource, worship God with our stuff. And when you worship God generously, he blesses your life. I'm not promising you a silly dollar for dollar. If you give a dollar, the Lord will give you two. And if you, I'm not promising you that. That's not how this works. What the scriptures tell us that when we give and live generously, God blesses that type of life. And the reality is for those of us who understand this and practice this, we know that this stuff works. We know that it works. The trouble is, those of us who don't practice this, having had the benefit of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and that he'll make good on his promises. And you might say grumpily, you know, I tried it once back in 82 and it didn't work. (laughs) Well, it doesn't work like that either. Okay? But God wants us to be obedient. He wants us to go to sleep, eat some breakfast, and wake up to be obedient again and do it left foot, right foot every single day. And God blesses the generous life. And generosity is a principle that God honors even outside of the sphere of faith. You understand what I'm saying? And God requires that we worship him for real, sacrificially with our valuables. 
And for some of you, all of you, all you needed was to hear, okay, this is biblical, this is legit, I trust this guy, I trust this church. And all you needed to hear was that it was from God and that it was from Scripture. And you might have a follow-up question or two, but this is all you needed. And yet others of us, we need, you know, we need a little bit more. We need a little bit more. Particularly, you're interested in just, hey, when I come and drop this off, just what happens to it? That's a nice shirt you're wearing there, preacher. Like, what's happening to <laughs> It's not that nice. What's happening to my money? Is it? You know, and so over the years as we've interacted with this, with, with this subject, I've encountered lots of people who, who just, they just needed to know where the money was going. And so a friend of mine, Tony Sappho and his wife Ann here, they're both physicians, several years ago, and she uh, wrote me a little letter after um, they had given their first tithe here. After they'd been coming for a while, Tony and, and his husband had heard, and her, excuse me, Tony and his wife had heard a similar message like this on giving and generosity. And this is what she wrote. She said, I always tithe. She said this. I always tithe and didn't know where the money went. But I think when Tony saw the big picture of the church and where the funds were allocated, then it hit home that the church really needs the money to function and thrive. And so I rarely talk about tithing and giving without talking about the other important piece of this, and that is what is a tithe for? Just exactly what are you doing with the money? And trust me, if you go to a church or if you go to a preacher, particularly somebody who's asking you to give faithfully and generously, and they start stammering and stuttering and they bristle at this notion that you'd like to know where the, where the money's going, you get, it out of, you get out of there real quick. Just get out of there real quick. Maybe come get, pick up your coat like later. But get out of there, okay? <laughs> because that's an important question. That's not a bad question. And frankly... If we're doing what we're supposed to do with the money, then you ought, we ought to have an answer for you, okay? If we view this as a public trust that we have the privilege of stewarding, then we won't have a problem with the shareholders asking where the money's going. And you're not going to dictate to us what we do with it. You can make suggestions, you know? So you, know, you don't feel like, because I, I put in for that, I want it to go this, that, and that. If you designate on a check, I don't know if you knew this, but if you designate, make a designation on a check when you give it, like we legally have to use it for that, right? So you, I guess you do have some say in that process. We prefer that much of it goes into the general fund so we can steward it in a broad sense. But it's a fair question to ask what is happening with the money. And so to answer the question that some of you are asking in your heart right now, the general uh, answer to that question is that your tithes and your offerings, the money that you give, is necessary for funding church life. It's necessary for funding church life. And much of what you give goes directly to funding what we do here as a ministry. In the same way that the income that you bring in goes to taking care of you and your family's overhead, in a similar fashion, the income that we take in goes directly to taking care of our overhead and ministry expenses. A good chunk of that goes towards operational things. Operational things like this building. You know, our landlords, they really like us. We're good tenants, but they don't like us that much. You know, around the second or third of every month, you know, they're going to their mailbox and they expect a check from us, okay? So a good chunk of it goes to operational expenses like this building, the services that we use to, to make this organization and this building work, phones, fax lines, internet, insurance, accounting, bookkeeping, payroll, those sorts of things. So operational expenses. Your money goes there. A chunk of your money goes to pay staff salaries. Now currently I'm the only person on staff, and so last week and this week when you get your giving statement, and when you see every penny that came in and every penny how it was spent, when you see staff salaries, that line, that's me. That's what I make. And thank you, okay? <laughs> uh, and so my, my, my salary is determined by the PAC, P-A-C, and that's short for the Pastoral Advisory Council. These serves as the church council, our board, and our PAC sets our, um, our staff salaries. And so I have to be really nice to them because they determine whether or not 
I get a raise, if I'm demoted, if they, you know, lower my wages, so I really got to take care of them. But they decide based on how well we're doing financially. My workload, as it increases, they'll determine that. And so, you know, we believe in paying people a decent wage. But you know what? That wage is determined by what we have coming in and my activity throughout the months, the weeks, and the year. Okay? And so we don't have a problem paying people well, uh, reasonably well, but we think that my salary ought to reflect what I'm doing and it ought to reflect the size of this church. And so, you know, there's lots of preachers. You've got four and a half people in your church, but you've got a you know, Mercedes and you've got a you know, half a million dollar parsonage. I mean, somebody ought to look at that. You understand what I'm saying? And so the, the, the church, it's not the church's responsibility to help me live lavishly. And so our commitment to you is that we will be good stewards as it relates to compensation for ourselves, and we'll be transparent also with staff salaries. But a good chunk of your resource goes to staff salaries. Another chunk of your resource goes to gear, equipment, and supplies, the technical stuff back there in the tech booth. We believe in doing things well here, reasonably well here. So tech, sound video, the worship team, and equipment accounts for a large uh, portion of where your uh, resources goes to get the supplies, hospitality. So you can come in, you enjoy coffee, you see the ambience and decor here, there's stuff in the bathrooms, all this sort of stuff that costs money. We don't, you know, just go in the store and say, hey, we're with the church. And they have a little pallet of stuff, that's for the donations. For the donor. They want us to swipe the card, just like you, okay? So these things cost money. We have our offices here, so office supplies, computers, printers, papers, bulletins, all this sort of stuff. We just opened a second office here because we're growing and we need it. And I just frankly got tired of everybody using my office. I couldn't use my office because somebody's printing something and I'm standing outside my office and so let's open up another office. It's time, okay? And so lots of resource goes to help us run our offering, our, our, our offering, off, office, excuse me. And so a, another chunk of your uh, resource, about 10% of it, goes to missions and giving. We're going to ask you to give. We feel compelled to also give, right? So 3% of every dollar that you give goes to our missions partnership. We are part of a Puerto Rico partnership. And so basically what our time and our energy and especially our resource goes, 3% of every dollar you give goes to the church planting efforts on the island of Puerto Rico. And so Pastor Marvin and Kuchi uh, and Mayaguez and our churches in San Juan, Pastor Carlos and Carmen, they appreciate your faithful support. And we'll actually be taking a missions trip, gathering a group, a small group of us to go in October to actually visit the island and serve them in the mission trip. So there's more on that, but we're part of the Vineyard Puerto Rico partnership, and 3% goes to this. 4% of every dollar you get, uh, you give, excuse me, goes to a local mission, Restoration Ministries. And you've heard that we go over there every other week. And this month, we've been going there every week. But they have an after-school program. They run a food pantry. They do all sorts of wonderful things. We probably have to partner with five or six different organizations in order to get you know, all that they do there. So not only do we give our time, but we give a good chunk of our resources to a local mission that's doing stuff that we're maybe too small to do right now. So we support them with our time, and we support them with our resources. And another uh, 3% goes to uh, our national movement, Vineyard USA. 3% of what you give goes to support the national movement and its church planting efforts in this country and some around the world. So some of your giving goes to our giving, okay? A good chunk of also uh, the money that you give goes to the poor. We really value serving the poor. And so aside from what we do at Restoration Ministries, there are those in our community, in this church family, that find themselves having more month than money a lot of the times. And so we feel a personal responsibility to be able to help those. We also are here to serve the larger community, and we get calls all the time from people who need help. Now, many of those calls, we don't end up helping those people, mainly because those people are lying to us, <laughs> okay? And they just go down the phone book, and they just call the churches and give a story, you know? And so over the years, I've just gotten really good at trying to, you know, weeding out those who are, you know, trying to just take us for a ride. And usually what I say is, yeah, okay, meet me at church on Sunday, and we'll get you some help. Probably 1% of the people that I tell that actually show up on Sunday, Okay? because they're just kind of doing their thing. But every now and then we get people who have genuine needs and they pass the lie detector test and we go out and we help them, OK? 
okay? Just this past Christmas, a woman called uh, the week before. She had just lost her job and just said, hey, you know, I'm really struggling. I said, okay, meet me at church. I'd like to meet you. She came the next Sunday, and on Christmas Day, we took what she needed was a gas card. We took her a $150 gas card to her house on Christmas Day. That's just one example of the, 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 the allocated resources that we set aside each year to serve the poor both in our community and outside of our community because it's necessary. That's kind of why we're here, to help those who need help, okay? And so we've talked a little bit about where your tithe go. I think another important question is where should I give my tithe? Now, this might be a no-brainer to some of you, but some of us, we need a little help with this. I think that you should give your tithe, give your offerings to your local church. I got nothing against TV preachers. I love them. I might be a TV preacher one day, so it's, you know, it's important that I speak well of them in the present. And so, I, you know, those guys need money to run their programs and all that, so I get that, right? But you know what? I think that you ought to contribute where you eat. And I think it would be strange if you went to Chili's and had a meal, but you drove over to Applebee's to pay your check. Now, I want this to sound funny or condescending in any way, but that's just not, that doesn't make really good sense. And so, you know, to have you and your family come and partake of the resources here, both personnel resources and the actual resources of what, you know, our money and our efforts here go to pay for, it seems strange to me that you would send your, uh, you would send your tithe and your offering to, to someone else. I got nothing against Brother Oldstein, Bishop, those fantastic ministries, great guys, but you don't call them, you know, when your child run away, you know? You don't call them, you know, you call, this is where you eat. This is where you graze, you understand what I'm saying? And so, just support them. There's enough for everybody, right? The abundance worldview, there's enough for everybody. But I think your tithes and your, your offerings primarily should go to support the local church. You ought to pay the check where you eat or help contribute where you eat. Does that make sense with what I'm saying? And so we've talked about the nuts and bustles of this, and some of you say, okay, I'm convinced, or I'm kind of convinced, but just give me a little more preacher. Where do I start? How do I start? And I just think a good way to start is by being obedient. By being obedient. And so you've heard the word of the preacher, and I've tried my best to explain the word of the Lord to you, but also I believe that there's a, holy, a real Holy Spirit that would speak to your heart and to deal with you in a way that you need to be dealt with. And my challenge to you is to be obedient. I'm not going to say, well, just start with 2%. Or just start with 5%. I'm not going to tell you that. Frankly, you're going to do what you want to do anyway. Okay? So I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and to be obedient. More importantly than that, I want you to start right away. I want you to start now. I want you to start now. I want you to start now. There's no time like the present. I want you to start now. And so, you know, there's three simple ways that you can give here. One is actually in service. You can just, the offering buckets come along uh, after service, uh, um, during the offering right before worship, and people put their offering uh, in that. We get a lot, a good, probably 50% of our giving comes through the, the mail. People do their sort of bill pay through their, they, they treat it just like a bill. And so Chase, through their Chase Bank, it comes to our P.O. box. And the vast majority, almost the vast majority of what we take in comes from that. And then we, you have an opportunity for you to give online through our website. Let's go to southsuburbanvenue.org, click on online giving, and it's just as easy that, as that. You can do a, a single gift or you can do, set up a re reoccurring uh, gift online. And this is really fairly simple. It's really fairly simple. It might not be easy, but it's not complicated is all I'm saying. It's not complicated is all I'm saying. And let me just finish by saying this, and worship team, you can come up. There are some people who will look at Scripture. They'll look at the Old Testament references to tithing, and they will look at the New Testament references to tithing, and they would conclude that tithing is something that's ancient and is not particularly God's word for us today. And while I don't particularly agree with that viewpoint, it is, however, in my opinion, a respectable opposing view. I'll say that. It's a respectable posing view. In other words, I can see how you would go to Scripture and you could come away with that. But here's my pushback for you. 
God's probably not telling you to do nothing. It's probably not okay with your version of ignoring uh, that sort of biblical aspect of truth by doing nothing or by doing little or by giving and serving and being generous in a way that doesn't put you out a little bit. And so the tithe is not for today, that's ancient. So what does it look like for you to be generous? What does it look like for you to give and to live sacrificially as it relates to God and others? you got to do business with that. you got to wrestle with that because God's probably not requiring nothing from you. You understand what I'm saying? So it's, if it's with integrity that you oppose the, 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 the doctrine or the theology of the tithe, then we got to do business and say, okay, what is God ex- expecting? What does he want from me? What does generosity look like? I can't answer that for you. You have to let the Holy Spirit answer that for you. And so, like I said, I know this is a sensitive topic, and we don't make a habit of going around the tough stuff, but God promises to bless the generous person. I love the passage in Malachi where the prophet proposes the rhetorical question, have we, have we robbed God? Have, have we cheated God? And he continues to say that we've cheated God, we've robbed God by not being generous with our stuff to him. And in robbing God, supposedly, we've only robbed ourselves because we've eliminated the opportunity for God to bless us and rebuke the devourer for our sake. And what God promises us is for those who give and live generously, he will bless us with the abundant life. He continues in that test to say, put me to the test. And so that's my challenge for those of you who struggle with this, for those of you who waver on this, for those of you who say, man, I barely have enough to just get by. My challenge to you is put God to the test. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Listen to how the Lord leads and respond in obedience. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for how you just take a lot of the guesswork and a lot of the confusion out of the things that we wrestle with and the things that we struggle with, Father, would you provide answers for us today? Would you speak clearly, Lord? And may your truth be our God this morning. And for those of us who've come by a scarcity worldview, quite honestly, Lord, we, we've dealt with lack in our life, Lord. Maybe we've seen things happen and we've dealt with traumatic, traumatic situations, Lord, that has left us wondering, you know, you know, how we should be generous. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to that. Lord, did you deliver us from fear and anxiety and this pressing worry about not having enough? Lord, would you eliminate that right now? And Lord, for those of us who've had bad experiences where we've seen mismanagement and impropriety with the church's resources, Lord, would you just remind us not that every place is that way? And Lord, would you redeem everything that the enemy has stolen? Would you restore trust? Would you call us, call us to believe again and to trust again and to be faithful again? God, would you do that by your spirit this morning? And Father, for those who take you up on your challenge, who put you to the desk, Lord, I pray that you would quickly show them the fruit of obedience and that you would pour out your spirit and open up the windows of heaven, Lord, they wouldn't even have room enough to receive what you would pour out. Would you do that this morning? Keep us abiding in you. Keep us on the path of obedience, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.